Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. I'm Annie. I'm an alcoholic. Wow. I've been as nervous as I could possibly be for as long as Chuck asked me (laughs) to come up here. Um, I guess I'll start with... uh, the day that Chuck asked me to speak, um, I was doing a 10-minute lead at my home group, and I had to get honest about something, and it kind of uh, hit me as a big part of my story and a big part of what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me. Um, first, I'll tell you I have a sponsor, and I do sponsor some other girls, which are here tonight. One even got in a car accident, and she still made it. Um, I have a home group. That's Tampa Bay Young People's Group. We uh, meet every Thursday night, 7.30, Hyde Park Baptist Church. Um, You can see me after the meeting if you'd like to attend that. So um, about three weeks ago, I was at a noon meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know what brought me to that meeting, but um, I was there. It was in the middle of my work day. It's not a meeting I normally attend, but um, for some reason or another, I ended up there. And um, I'd been speaking with a friend the night before that I hadn't talked to in a while, and I'm um, just kind of explaining, you know, where I'm at and um, what AA's done for me, and, um, you know, I told her that I, I didn't have to hide my life anymore, and and that um, I'm able to be honest today, and that's that's pretty huge. It, it takes a lot of uh, stress out of my life, and so that following day, I was at this noon meeting, and um, someone read How It Works, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard How It Works since I've been in this program, but um, somebody got to the part about rigorous honesty, and, and I got this, this feeling in me like, yes, rigorous honesty, you know, that's what it's about, and, and that's awesome that I, that I have that today. And then about halfway through that meeting, somebody shared about... Um, how he had quit drinking when he was 22, and he had quit smoking pot when he was 25. And from out of nowhere, like a bolt of lightning, it struck me that um, I had done a little bit of that after I picked up my first white chip. So um, I had my last drink on February 20th and um, decided that my sobriety date would be moved to March 1st. So um, with that, um, I have a sobriety date. That's March 1st of 2006. Um and that is where I will uh, leave you with that. So what it was like, um, I grew up in a very normal, what I would say normal, family. I grew up in St. Louis. Um, my parents were as perfect as any two parents can be. Uh, married, still married, very happy, gave me everything I ever needed to to be happy. And... Um, always very supportive of me, and um, and they trusted me um, a lot. You know, they let me do pretty much anything I wanted to do, and um, I, I never really gave them any reason not to trust me. Um, I went to school. I got good grades. I always had a lot of friends. Um, so uh, I, I was the fat girl. I think that that, that plays some part of a – it plays some part in, in who I was and, and kind of where I went. But um, I, I decided at, at some point that I didn't want to be fat anymore. So um, 
I went on Weight Watchers with my mom. I lost all this weight. And um, I went back to school in eighth grade, and nobody knew who I was. Um, I still had all my friends. I was still, you know, popular, but I had all this attention that um, I wasn't quite sure how to deal with. I think I always just wanted to kind of blend in with everybody. Um, I didn't want to be the spotlight, but I didn't want to be unnoticed. And um, and I really just didn't know how to handle that. But um, in order to blend, I pretty much just did what everybody else did. Um, but, you know, I, I maintained grades. I, I, you know, I was with everybody on the weekends, went out, and um, we didn't really drink until later on. Um, you know, like my freshman year in high school, I, I tried to skip school and I got caught right away. And, and um, you know, oh, Mom, I'm sorry, they tried to ground me. And, and that lasted for all, like, you know, two weeks. And because I'm such an angel, they let me out of that. And um, I think towards the end of my freshman year, like, I caught got caught smoking cigarettes in the bathroom at school, and I think my mom knew I smoked, and I, I think she even asked me prior to that, do you smoke at school? And I was like, no, never. And um, I got caught. So um, after that, the first time I can remember, like, actually drinking was when I was babysitting. I think I was about 14, and um, I uh, found some liquor under the cabinet, or under the, the kitchen sink, and um, a friend of mine came over, and we drank, and then we, for some reason, didn't think they'd notice if their liquor was missing, so we stole it, and um, took it to my friend's house, and um, they never asked me to babysit again. So that was that was the worst consequence that came from that. They didn't tell my parents. I don't think they told anybody else. They may have told the other people that I babysat for, because I don't think I babysat anymore after that. Um, it may have been that I found liquor and I didn't need babysitting anymore. But um, then I remember when I was like 15, I was working. I've always worked. I've always that's been like a big thing with my family, always to have a job and to be fully self-supporting. And um, I. Uh, I worked for this car wash, and I stayed late one night. I was actually the manager of this car wash, and um, the employees had to do some stuff, so I stayed late, and they all bought beer, and I ended up, like, slamming a six-pack, and um, somebody drove me home because I was 15. I couldn't drive, and um, I came straight into my house, and I went straight down to my room, and um, my mom thought that was strange, so she came to check on me where I was in the bathroom with my head in the toilet, and... Um, I just, I, the door was locked, and she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm just going to the bathroom. And the next thing I remember is her waking me up in my face, who bought the beer? And um, she said, I don't care how sick you are tomorrow, you're going to school. So uh, I don't remember getting in trouble for that. I just remember being like, I don't know, I just wanted to try it, whatever. So um, past that, I don't really, I, I didn't start drinking a lot until I was like 17, um, I had a good friend, her and I, um, hung out a lot with, with people that weren't going to school with us. They were older than us. Um, I didn't get along real good with all the girls in my high school. So, um, you know, I just ran away from that and met other people and those other people were older and were able to get liquor and stuff like that. And, um, I remember waking up on my, my 17th birthday after drinking a fifth of tequila the night before and, um, just feeling like I was going to die, like I couldn't move. And um, I was like, somebody get me food, something. And I never, um, 
I just thought maybe did not drink like that again. And of course that didn't happen, but um, for a while I probably didn't drink like that again. Um, so anyway, I, I went to school, I graduated with a 4.0. Um, I went to college, which was about 45 minutes outside of St. Louis. I went to Southern Illinois University. And um, as soon as I got to school, as soon as I was moving into the dorms, there was a bunch of girls that were rushing people for sororities, and my roommate wanted to join the sorority. And, and so I was like, okay, you know, that's fine. So um, that hooked me up with, with all the right people, the people I wanted to hang with, um, that partied a lot, that drank a lot. Not all of them did, but I found the ones that did. And um, I drank a lot. Um, I was that girl that could definitely hang with the guys and with the girls, and I was the last one up, and I was drinking all night. And um, eventually that became what was most important to me. Um, I, I stopped going to school as much. I think my first semester I did all right, but um, past that, I uh, I just I thought that I could do it the same way I did high school, that I could just read the book and not go to class and just go in for the tests. And um, college is not like that. Um, especially I was I was a biomedical science major, so I thought I was going to be a doctor like this. And um, of course, that didn't really work out. As time went on, I, I stopped going to school more and more and started hanging out, you know, whenever anybody would say, hey, you want to go to the park and drink, or do you want to go to this party? You know, when other people were going to school, when they were in between classes, and I was supposed to be in class, I was going wherever there was to be drinking. So um, I, I ended up getting sick my sophomore year. I was um, part-time. Part-time became um, no time at all. Like, I, I just didn't want to go anymore. Um, in that time, my parents ended up selling their house, and um, they decided they were going to travel full-time. So, uh, I mean, I was totally cool with that. You know, they had raised their kids, and they were, you know, they thought that we were doing okay and that they could leave, and, and I was like, see you, Mom. Um, so they left. Um I stopped going to school. I got a job in the restaurant business and met some of my very best friends, so I thought, in, in the restaurant, and um, started drinking a lot more. So at this time, I'm not going to school anymore, and I'm basically living to go to work and get off work and head to the bar or head to somebody's house, go to whatever party and drink. And um, on my way home one night, I um, rolled a stop sign and um, got pulled over, and I had a warrant for my arrest because I did not pay a speeding ticket that I should have paid. And then they decided to ask me how much I'd been drinking, and um, I was 20 years old. I don't know why I thought it would be okay to tell them that I drank anything at all, but um, I told them I had a couple of beers, and they you know, asked me to get out of the car and do a breathalyzer and um, a sobriety test, and I think that... Um, I got maybe a couple of steps through the uh, walk in the line, and they asked me to blow, and I blew a .28, which um, was funny to them and not so funny to me. So um, that was my first time in the back of a police car with handcuffs on, and I'm crying, and they're laughing. and um, I go, and, um, you know, they lock me up there, and... Um, give me five minutes to use my cell phone. 
And um, I didn't know where my parents were at the time. I knew they were en route to the Keys, but I probably wouldn't have called them anyway. I didn't ever want to disappoint them or scare them or make them think they had to come back home. So um, I called all my good friends, and they got all the money together to get me out of jail. And um, I got out, and I'm pretty sure that as soon as I got out, I headed straight to a bar or to a bottle somewhere. Um, which in turn, I don't, I don't know how long it was between there and the time that I got fired from my job because I didn't show up because I was at the bar until five o'clock in the morning. I was supposed to be at work at 10, but I ended up losing my job and, um, I went to visit my parents in the Keys because I thought that would be a great idea and, um, came home after I'd left there and thought, why am I living in St. Louis? You know, I can do everything that I'm doing here down there. All I was doing was working, you know, so, um. I packed everything up, took me five weeks, um, drove down to my parents. I ended up living with them for a couple weeks. I got a job in the restaurant business. That place provided staff housing for me. So um, I was, again, in the perfect place with all the perfect people. Um, the bar was literally walking distance, but I had to drive anyway. Um, so uh, I, I, I definitely continued with my my everyday drinking there and um you know as time went on uh my life definitely got unmanageable i lost jobs i lost that job where they provided me with staff housing and um i didn't talk to my parents for you know a month here a couple weeks and they lived all of 10 minutes from me but um Every time I went to see my mom, she would be like, something's wrong with you. You don't look right. You don't, and she would tell me I smelled like liquor, and I would be real defensive and be like, I just got out of the shower. There's no way you're making it up. And uh, now I know that it was coming out of my pores, and um, that it, it definitely has a smell. But um, I wanted to avoid them at all costs, so I, I moved in on somebody's couch, and um, stayed on that couch for a while. And um, from there, I, I didn't want to stay on that couch anymore, so I stayed on somebody else's couch. And pretty much, it, I, you know, I, I had another job, but every night was, every day and every night was get through work so I can get to the bar so that I have a place to stay. And um, that's just how my life went for almost a year. It was like 10 months I was couch surfing. And... Um, it got to the point where my my kidneys hurt so bad that I knew if I didn't stop drinking, I was going to end up in the hospital. And God forbid I end up in the hospital and everybody know that I have a problem with alcohol. So um, so I, I went back to that first couch and um, I laid there and sweat and shook and cried and detoxed for, um, for a couple of days. I mean, in that couple of days, I... Um, I still went to work, but I knew that I had to come back to that couch after I got off work, and I had to stay away from, from alcohol because my body couldn't take it anymore. So um, as soon as my, my kidneys stopped hurting, and I quit drinking for a couple of weeks maybe total. Well, actually, that like the after, yeah, I'd, I'd quit drinking for probably a couple of weeks. Um, I moved into another house where... Um, I got into a pretty bad situation that I was living with some people, and one of these people got the idea that 
he meant more to me than he really did and got really upset when I told him that he didn't. And I ended up with a shotgun in my face because he was um, also under the influence. And uh, at that point, I knew I had to, like, find a stable place to live. Um, I had a pretty good job at that time. I was managing a restaurant. And um, I made some money, and I saved some money, and I, I moved into my own place and um, ended up moving in with a bartender that worked for me. And I thought that was a great idea. And that boy, too, thought that I liked him more than I really did. So he would come into my room at night until I uh, I put a lock on the door, like a, like a bolt lock that you put on your front door. And um, I think he started to get the picture after that, but... I mean, he, he was he was crazy. He was who I never wanted to be. He was drinking all day, every day, telling me I was messed up. To, you know, I, like, he would, I don't know if he was always in blackouts. I don't know. But um, he was stealing my shoes and telling me that I lost them. And, and I was like, anything I could do to just stay sober. Um, you know, I'd only drink, like, one glass of wine. I, I definitely... Uh, did the controlled drinking for as long as I possibly could. I was like, okay, I'm only going to drink beer tonight so I don't black out. I'm only going to drink wine tonight. I'm not going to drink at all tonight, which didn't normally work out. But if I went a day without drinking, I was like, yes. Um, so anyway, I, I eventually ended up moving back with my parents. Not long after I moved back in with my parents, um, I decided to go out again. Um, I had stayed away from the bars for a while, and, um, and I finally decided to go back out again. And that night, I was driving home. I don't know what happened. I fell asleep, passed out, I'm not sure. But I came to after I'd hit a car that was driving in front of me. And um, I pulled over, and of course the police showed up, and the ambulance showed up, and the firemen showed up. And I knew all of these people, because it's a very small town. And um, took another sobriety test, and refused to blow, because... Somewhere along the way, I'd been told, don't blow, because then they have evidence. <laughs> so they arrested me, and again, I spent the night um, locked up. And um, after I came out of that, I did not want to live. I didn't want to look at anybody. I was done. And my mom looked at me and said, do me a favor and don't, blank, blank, kill yourself. And um, I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I won't then. And um, I just I felt like I needed to get my stuff together. So I, you know, I, I did. I got my stuff together. Um, I ended up dating somebody. We moved in together, lived together down in the Keys for, for a while, almost two years, I think. And um, then we decided to move up to Tampa. And uh, when we did that, um, I decided I didn't want to live with him anymore. So uh, I left. And I moved into my own place. And um, I was paying bills there and doing really well and, um, you know, still drinking. But um, I thought everything was okay. You know, I, um, I didn't ask anybody for any help. I had a job that no matter how drunk I got the night before or how late I stayed up, I made it to that job. Um, but I, it eventually got to the point where I was doing other things and um, my perception of what was okay and what was not okay was really, really blurry. Um, my general manager of the restaurant I worked for sat me down one night 
And, um, you know, he said to me, Annie, I think you have a problem. And um, your option is to either get help and maintain your employment here or take your journey somewhere else. And I said, I'll think about it and get back to you. So, <clears throat> you know, there was there was just things that were happening, and I would go to work all upset. Um, you know, I I really messed up my knee, and I um, my bird died, and um, my cat ran away, and um, all of these things were just terrible things that were happening to me, and I was just like, you know what? This is what my life is going to be like, and I'm just going to have to deal with it. So. Uh, you know, he presented me with that little um, ultimatum there, and um, you know, I was I was determined to show him that my life was going to be the way it was, no matter what, whether I drink or not, whether I was drinking at work or not, you know. But um, so I I uh, looked in the phone book and I called the 800 number, and um, I found a meeting. So uh, this man Bert answered the phone. And I was like, I don't know what to do or where to go. And, and he gave me directions. So um, I went to uh, 3333, which is a club over in Tampa, at, um, on a Tuesday at noon. And I walked into a huge group of people with a lot of time. And um, I sat there, and I don't know how much I listened. They were doing a big book study. And... Um, I was just really confused. Like, I had no idea. They were in the middle of the big book. I'm like, this isn't even where I need to be. I need to start at the beginning, and these people are in the middle. And <laughs> this is, of course, the only meeting that there is in Tampa. So um, I picked up a white ship that day, and a couple of girls uh, came up to me after the meeting. And, you know, I had the phone numbers, and um, I just looked at the girl, and I was like, what do I do? How do I do this? And um, basically, I mean, in a nutshell, she was like, keep coming back. And um, she also mentioned the, the Tampa Bay Young People's Group and that she would meet me and, and take me there. So uh, I got her number, and I left that meeting, and I called my boss to tell him that I went to a meeting and that I picked up a white chip. And, um, you know, he, uh, he was like, so do you need me to sponsor you? And I was like, <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. And, um, you know, he's like, well, who was, who would I talk to? You know, like he wanted to verify that I was going to these meetings. And I said, um, I, I think the chairperson's name was Dick, but I think it's an anonymous organization. I don't think they really want you calling them, you know? So, uh, he just had to believe me. So, um, I left there definitely thinking I was not belonging there. Um, I remember a guy raising his hand, or actually we went around the room and stated our, our sobriety date, and this guy said something like 1975, and I was like, buddy, I think you're in the green, you're not going to drink anymore, I don't know why you're here. <laughs> so, um, shows how much I know, right? <clears throat> so, um, anyway, I, I definitely left thinking that you people were crazy, um, I can't believe you have time in your life for a meeting every day, because I did not. 
I did not have time. I can maybe make it to one a week, and that was going to be okay. You know, I would just um, not drink. As a matter of fact, I asked that girl that, that told me about the Young People's Group to sponsor me. She asked me what my plans were, and I told her, well, I think I'm going to quit for, like, 90 days, and then I'm going to just, you know, try to control it from there, take it from there. If I can quit for 90 days, I'll be good. She said, well, maybe you shouldn't look at it like, you know, your whole life. Maybe you should just try to stay in today. And I was like, okay, I'll do that for 90 days. So um, <laughs> that first meeting also, um, somebody gave me a big book. And um, that sponsor told me that I needed to read the big book. And um, I started to read the big book. And then I started to identify. And there was no running or escaping or denying the big book. Um, more about alcoholism is definitely what sold me on the fact that I was an alcoholic and I was in the right place. Um, I could, <laughs> that book told my story. Like it, it, it explained everything I ever did and ever tried and the battle I have fought with alcohol since I started drinking. And it, and it said to me I didn't have to do that anymore. That I didn't have to, um, to go out at night and figure out how many beers I could drink so that I could make it the next day and not feel terrible and not have to use other things to make me feel better. And um, I couldn't run from that. So uh, I went to another meeting. Um, I believe it was a Monday. It could have been a Wednesday meeting. It was a newcomer's meeting. And um, I came home from that meeting and uh, my cat, who'd been missing for 11 days, um, was home. And uh, and I literally thought, oh, my God, this is what happens when you quit drinking. <laughs> and, um, and I swear that is one of the miracles that I will hang on to forever. Like, my cat, who was gone for 11 days, who was so pissed at me, he pushed my window screen out and left me. <laughs> came home and um, and I knew that you know as much as anybody told me things were going to get better and I didn't have to drink and um, you know it, it it wasn't easy I I definitely wanted my old friends I wanted to hang with my old friends I didn't want to hang out with you and I didn't want to do the things you did but I knew that if I if I was gonna if I was gonna do this thing I had to um, for some reason or another, I just I kept coming back, and people were nice to me, and people welcomed me, and I didn't think anybody was, you know, judging me or, or um, you know, I, I knew that you were all just here to help, and um, and and the the pats on the back I got, and the people that, you know, told me I was doing a good job and I was doing everything I was supposed to do, um, kept me here. Um, Tampa Bay Young People's Group saved my life. I don't know that without all of you, um, I would be up here. Um, to have a young group of people, you know, you guys are the people I used to party with, you know. You are no different, and, and that's awesome. Um, so I, over the, the past um, 11 months and some days, uh, I got involved. Um, they were... Uh, Tampa was putting a bid together for, or actually they'd put a, a, bid, to, a bid together for Circuit Paw and, and that was coming to Tampa and, and that first sponsor told me I needed to go to those meetings and to get a service position 
And I went to those meetings, and um, I didn't get a service position right away, but eventually ended up with one. Um, you know, now I chair a women's meeting. Um, I, I go to the events. Um, I've gone to to Fikipa in Florida. I've gone to Ikipa in New Orleans. I don't, I mean, I know that I would not have ever been in any place such as those had I not stuck with these people. Um, I, uh, I, I, I decided that I, I needed a new sponsor, I think about 30 or 60, I'm not sure how many days in, and I found somebody that shared the, uh, the same idea of a higher power as I did, and that is truly, truly important to me, and it's, it's a major part of my sobriety. My sponsor has, has shown me things I never, never, ever would have saw, um, I've, I've gone through my steps. I did my fourth and my fifth step with her. That was a really long day, and I hated every minute of it <clears throat> up until the end when um, I realized that I did have resentments and I did have character defects and um, that from today and tomorrow and the next day, those are the things I get to work on. Um, you know, I, I, I have a clear conscience today. Um, I, I'm honest, which is which is something I always thought I was, and until I until I went through the steps and, and wrote some things down and went through those things with a sponsor and looked at them, I uh, I didn't know they existed, and I didn't know I wasn't honest. Um, took time. Um, so uh, I I just basically I I. Um, I came to meetings. Um, pretty sure I did a 90 and 90. It was kind of rough at first because I was still in the restaurant business. But um, about four months sober, uh, somebody came to me and offered me a job. I took that job, and, and that job has, has changed my life as well. Um, I, I've, I now work with, I think, about six or seven people that are in the program. We have a good time at work. We make money, um, which is important. Um, and it's flexible. It gives me it gives me the life. It gives me the the time that I need to live the life I need to live. And and I know that as long as I keep AA first, um, I'll keep that job, and um, I'll keep my friends, and I'll keep my sobriety. And um, like I said, um, as far as as giving back, um, I. I try to attend as, as much AA as I can. Um, I, I do chair a women's meeting on Monday nights. I, um, I sponsor a couple of girls. That's been, um, I've, I sponsored two now, but, um, I've had some along the way that I just am grateful <laughs> that, um, that I don't have to go back there and that, um, that I can help them to maybe to see that, that there is a better way, there is a better life, that things will get better if you sit down, shut up, and listen like I did. Um, if you, if you, you do the things I did, because I did what you did, and, um, and I'm sure you all did what somebody else did, and that's how we're all he- still here. Um, I don't know, today is, uh, awesome. I never, I, I came to this meeting when I first got sober, and, this is a big meeting, and uh, 
when Chuck asked me to speak, I don't think I thought about it. I was like, "Uh uh-huh, because I was told I'm not allowed to say no when AA asks me. Um, You know, I'm not allowed to turn down the program that saved my life. And uh, I think immediately after that, I wanted to, like, melt in my skin, and um, I wanted to say no, and and I can't do that, you know. Uh, I'm truly grateful for, for being able to stand here today and to be sober and um, to have the people I have in my life. And um, thank you for letting me share. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.